0: Our scripture reading today is Colossians 3, 4 through 17. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in a life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is neither Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another I'm excited to get back into this series on the book of Colossians and what it means for us to have life together and how it forms our community. You'll notice that we started there in verse 4 that reminds us that when Christ, who is our life, so we've talked about this now for hmm, nine, ten weeks, uh, that Jesus is who our identity rested, that he is the one that has showed us who we are truthfully supposed to be, who we are called to be, created to be, and through him made to be. And that there is a distinction between those who are in Christ and those who are not yet in Christ. Yet Christ is constantly seeking out those to bring them in. He longs in his steadfast love to bring us to that place. And so today, as we dig into Colossians again, we move from this place of taking this great verse of what does it mean that we have our life in Christ? And Paul begins to put out what it looks like. That's the reason why therefore appears twice. Since this statement is truth, that our life is in Christ, therefore your life should look this way. Um, Those of you who've been around a little while know that um, I have in the last eight years that we've been in Australia fluctuated in my weight that there have been times where I've been heavier and there have been times where I have been less heavy I've never been in spells but I have been less heavy and because of that I have a broad range of clothing items within my closet there are things that I can look at and go yep that looked good when I was this size or that looks good when I was this size. There's actually a shirt that I have in my closet that has giraffes on it. Now, my daughter loves giraffes, and there was one point where I put it on and I took a picture of myself. I will never show that picture to anybody because I look like a sausage that has been, uh, too much meat has been shoved inside the casings. It just looks like I'm about to burst out of it. But it's one of those things that I have in case, if ever, I lose weight enough to get into it. I'll have it and I can put that on. I've been a size 42 pants and I've been a size 34 pants standing up here preaching. And I still have some size 34 pants. I couldn't get into those right now. But I also can't wear my size 42 pants because they're a little bit too baggy. And that might be embarrassing as well. You see, there's a place where we save things, that we keep things that we want to put on, and that we want to take off. Now, a couple of different times in this particular passage, Paul says, put on or take off. And it's really an allusion to baptism. This movement from being outside of Christ to being moved inside of Christ. Because as baptism was happening, they would have clothes that they were wearing, they would take those clothes off, they would be baptized into new clothes, and they would wear those clothes going forward. There was this real sense of change. Something took place in that baptism for them. And so one of the things that's a danger in this is we begin to think through, right, so that means I've got things I need to take off and I've got things I need to put on. There are certain actions that I need to do and there are other other actions that I need to stop doing. Because when we look at this, it becomes a list very easily. And and we might look at the list of things that we shouldn't do and go, good, I don't do any of those things. And that's the danger of a list in Scripture is we can go, yep, I can check mark the ones that I don't do. I've got this one that I've got to work on. Some of us might look at the list, and you might go, I've got most of those going on right now. And so you begin to feel shame. Uh, and, And shame is not a bad thing if it leads you to repentance. Shame is a bad thing if it causes you to move yourself inside and walk away from the community of God that can walk with you in that place. And so I want to be very careful as we step into this to say real quickly, this is not about the list, but there is something going on here much deeper. So he says, put to death, stop doing these things. It it actually couldn't be more um, powerful. It's not just like, do your best, uh, hide them from yourself. He says, put to death. You're taking these things off and they should not have anything to do with you. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That that means your brokenness, your, your fleshiness, your fallenness. That place where our hearts want to be turned in on itself and be our own gods. And then he lists out things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Now these are all actions that the body does these are things that our heart and our bodies move in towards and they all tend to wrap around that sexual immorality they're they're saying there's something about sex that is good because sex is good god created sex he made it so we don't need to get the reputation as those who are following christ that believe that it's bad it's good it's it's even purer When it falls within the parameters of what God has laid out through Scripture and exemplified through us and in us, the love that He has for us. And so there's places where that in the broken world has been twisted and turned in on itself. And so it moves from sexual immorality to impurity to to lusts, then to evil desires, and then to greed. And so you might think to yourself, now how does greed fall into that list of other ones? It's real easy to go, yep, yeah, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. I think it gives us an indication of what Paul is digging at here. Now understand that in Colossae, there are pagan cults that are running around that are built on sexual, sexual immorality. So he's obviously needing to deal with that directly. But the reason that he adds greed in there is because greed is a turning in on self. Greed is a desire to only be about me. And when sex is impure, when lust comes into our heart, when evil desires begin to change the way that we view others, it is because we are turned in on ourselves, which is greed. Which is saying, I don't trust that God has enough and what his plan is good. So I need to take control of this and get what I can. Because I'm fearful that I won't get enough pleasure or control or power or comfort. So I seek it out in my own means, in my own methods, to be able to bring those in to myself. And in that More is never enough, which is the heart of greed, or what Paul says here is idolatry. See, it is an elevation of self that makes these things broken. But when we walk in a place of love, where sex is seen as pure and beautiful and a giving of self to the other, Not a movement to receive only what I can get from this engagement and interaction. Then we run away from the greed that so easily deceives us and into a place of gracious living, knowing that God is enough for me. Now the great thing about this is Paul says to the church in Colossae, and he says to us, you used to walk in these ways. This is how you used to live. Why? Because you've put them to death. And then he goes on and says, but now you must also get rid of all these things, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So he moves from an outward sort of thing to a spoken word sort of thing here. Anger shows itself through words, rage, malice, slander. He's saying you're not only got to worry about your body and the way that you turn in on yourself with your body, you've also got to pay attention to the way that you turn in on yourself with your heart and with your words. Here again, it's a place where we're saying, I'm the most important and my way is the best way. And the reason why anger and rage and malice and slander come into our hearts is because people aren't doing it the way that I think they should. They're not living in the way that is honoring to me. And that's idolatry, where we're saying, God is due all. honor, But I'm not. I should get the honor I want, is what we say. And so anger builds when we don't get that. It happens so subtly as well. I'm going to turn and somebody cuts me off in my turn. And rage just comes up. I've asked my children to do something and they don't quite do it the way I want them to. My girls make fun of me when I go to reload the dishwasher. Because sadly it's not very gentle when I go do that to be careful not to break a cup. Why? Because they didn't do it my way. And and that is walking in the old way. That is living in the flesh. And the promise here that we have in this passage is that we no longer have to do that. That we can put to death those things. That we can acknowledge that they're there, but know that they're not in control of us. That our identity rests in Jesus and who he is because when he appears, I will be like him because he is my life. And so Paul quickly moves us to a place and he says, here's the thing. You renew yourself in the knowledge of the image of the creator. And here, he wants to drive home that this is not a to-do list, that this is not a behavioral thing. Just change the behaviors. It is an identity thing. Renew yourself in the knowledge of the image of the Creator here, meaning in Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all and is in all. That our identity, our our knowingness of who we are rests completely in Jesus. That I can run to that place and then rest in knowing that Christ has done this work enabling me to move to the place of putting it to death. In fact, Michael Byrd put it this way. But this putting to death of sin is not only demanded by our incorporation with Christ. It is also empowered and effective by it. Union with Christ, because it puts us in a new relationship to sin and brings us into the sphere of the Spirit's power, will impact the way that we live. Ultimately, then, the imperative to put to death in this verse must be viewed as a call to respond to it, because it's a call to respond to it, and to cooperate with it And it is also the transforming power that is already operating within us. That this idea that we're dead to sin, but alive in Christ, gives us the ability then to be confronted by it, to recognize it, to repent of it, and to run away from it. Not in our own power, but in the power of Christ who died for us, as Romans 6, which is one of the additional readings that I've given you, says. And so we have to be careful that when we look at these things, we don't just look at the external parts of them. I didn't yell at somebody today. Or when I did yell at somebody today, what was going on there? We must really take time to get underneath those outward manifestations of these Things that are really deep within our heart. And so we've listed those. Uh, in the prayer, you've seen some of those. And it's really these idols that we carry around of comforts and pleasure and power and control. That, that we walk in ways that, that we seek them for ourselves. Believing that God won't provide them for us, and thinking we have to attain them. And each one of us have a different idol that probably is paramount in our life versus the person sitting right next to you. So yours might be comfort, and the person next to you might be control, or power, or pleasure. And what we have to check ourselves in our hearts, and and this is why community is important, is because we will lie to ourselves. We have to have others walk with us to say, I recognize an outward manifestation, a a movement in your being that's tied to a sin that we can go. That's sin number one. That's sin number two. But there is something underneath it in your heart that is driving you towards that place. There is a desire that you have deep within to attain something that you only should be looking for in Christ. Because he's the one who brings pleasure and comfort and control and power. And so he says, since this is an identity thing, let me remind you who you are. You are chosen by God. That if you are in Christ, you are chosen by God. That means that as a chosen person, he who has chosen you will not let you go. He will fight for you and pursue you. He will come after you if you try to leave. I'm not saying that's fun, having been through that. But he will pursue you in his steadfast love. You are holy, that means you are set apart, and you are dearly loved. Check that. You are dearly loved. Oftentimes when we read passages like this, when we see the things that we're not supposed to do, we can look at that and believe that that's God looking to get us in trouble. That doesn't sound very loving. That he's waiting to call us out. That that he's got his little checklist. Oh, three strikes and you're out. That's a baseball term. I'm sorry. But in fact, we are reminded that we are dearly loved by God. That he can't get enough of us. That he longs for us to be who he created us to be. And so then we clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. We bear with each other and we forgive one another. Why? Because God has forgiven us. Now again, these are not things that we look at that we go, how have I been kind today? And here's my six ways that I've been kind today. And if you've done six ways of being kind, good on you. This is a manifestation of the heart. And it comes from a place where we recognize I must love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love others as I love myself. Knowing that I don't have a problem loving myself. And through Christ I'm able to see people as those who need compassion. And kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. That they don't need correction and rebuke to get them in line with what I believe they need to do. Now sometimes that compassion and that kindness and that gentleness comes in the place of discipline. That says I I see you walking in a place that, that you are wanting to be your own God in this area. Can I tell you the the danger of that? Can I walk with you in a place of discovering it and repenting in it? Because it is unkind to let somebody continue to walk that way. But we cannot walk with them in this way. You're destined for hell. (laughs) If you don't turn now, at this moment, this is how you must repent. Repent. We have to be careful with our own hearts in this place. And it comes from this place of knowing that we forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And how is this able to happen? Well, it's the virtue of love. Above all else, you put on love which binds us all together in perfect unity. And he moves to that place of peace of Christ that rules in our hearts. Um, you've all noticed that I'm bald, right? (laughs) Uh, I was thinking about what does it mean to uh, apply this to ourselves? How, How does it work for us To sort of sit in that place where Jesus is our life and and I don't want to do these things and and I want to do these things. And it's really easy for us to begin to think about, I just by my sheer willpower will not do the things I'm not supposed to do. And I'll do the things that I'm supposed to do. And I was thinking that that's actually, and, and on the outside it'll look really good. And I was thinking that's actually kind of like if I wear a hat to cover up my baldness. Or even better is if I wear a wig. If I were to wear a wig to cover up my baldness, and it was a really good wig, let's not say a cheap wig, let's say I actually spit some cash on it, there are places where I could walk into, not not necessarily with you all because you know me too well, that I might be able to walk into there and people would look and they would go, what a good looking head of hair that guy has. That's almost as good as his dad's hair, because my dad has great hair. But at the end of the day, I would go home and I would take the little tape that was holding it on and I would peel it off and I would set it aside. Because it really was a part of me. It really wasn't doing anything for me. It was just covering up something, but it left the problem, which I don't think big bald is a problem, by the way, there. However, there are some drugs that I could take that could, for some people, grow hair. And if I were to take those, and if it were to work on me, then hair would begin to grow. Now, it might not look like the hair that I have now. It might not grow as thick as my hair was at one point. And I did have thick hair at one point. But it would be growing and be present, and it would be mine. Because it had sprung from life. That's the difference here. The difference is, does it spring from life or does it spring from death? Is it a way, am I going to do these things so that I can cover up or I'm going to do them by allowing God to bring new life to me? And not me allowing, but walking with God. As he does in life, we must then join together and dwell richly with one another, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing with gratitude in our hearts so that we will know the goodness of God in words and deeds and that everything we do then becomes about bringing Him glory and honor and praise. And so as a community, we do that together. We walk in the place because Jesus has done it for us. Then we are able To put to death our sinfulness, our sinful natures. Why? Because Christ put it to death. And walk in life with him. Let me pray. Father, you are good and everything you do is good. And so we hold on to the truth that is in this. That we can be made new as you have made us new. And that our old self is no longer who we are. That you make us alive. And let us then encourage one another in that. And so if anything that I have spoken today does not belong to you, let it burn up. But if it does, let it take root in our hearts to bear good fruit for you and bring glory and praise to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.